resurrection is a big, big deal. It's a big, big deal. And, and maybe you're sitting there and going, why is it such a big deal? Um, it's the turning point. It's the, it's the Easter story about Jesus' death and resurrection is the climax of the entire story of the Bible. It's the, uh, the TSN turning point of the Bible, you could say, if you're a sports fan. It's the darkest moment followed by the brightest moment. It's all is lost to all has been won. Now, I just want to start with this. For some people, the resurrection is a bit of a problem. Someone died and then came back to life. Jesus died and then came back to life. Well, for some people, they say, well, I have, I have problems with that. I have a problem believing that. And if that's your thing today, if that's what you have, where you're at today, let me just give you a quick aside. This is my, not my, what I'm talking about mainly today. But I would encourage you to look into evidence for the resurrection. I want to give you just one that I think uh, stands out for me. And then I'm going to point you to a podcast that you can listen to. The one that stands out for me and that I'm going to share with you today is, how did the Christian movement start in the first place? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. The, when you look at the scenario um, that Jesus was in, uh, author N.T. Wright has argued in his book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, that it's difficult to come up with any historically plausible alternate explanation for the birth of the Christian movement. It's hard to account for thousands of Jews virtually overnight worshiping a human being as divine when everything about their religion and culture conditioned them to believe that that was not only impossible, but deeply heretical. The best explanation for the change was that many hundreds of them had actually seen Jesus Christ with their own eyes after he died. Now last year about this time, we did a lot of talking about the realities of the resurrection. And in fact, I'd encourage you, if you are more interested in this, to check out a podcast from last year. You can go to our website, hillcrestmj.com, and go to our resources tab, and then you'll find our podcasts, and then look for guest speakers, and under that, you'll find resurrection slash Palm Sunday. And last year, one of the teachers from our community, uh, Lee Barron, did an incredible job of explaining all the evidence that points towards the fact that Jesus did actually rise from the grave. So, I want to take it a step further today. Let's just say we are all in agreement that the resurrection actually happened. So what? What does it mean? What's the significance? In fact, let's take it further. What practical change could it possibly bring to anyone's life today? What difference does it make? And what can it make in my life? Let me tell you that the resurrection of Jesus can mean a world of difference for us. It can affect our lives in all directions. It can affect our past, our present, and our future. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. You know, 20 to 25 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, there was a church in the town called Corinth. Actually, it was a bit of a bigger city. But this church in Corinth had some teachers come to them, and they were teaching that resurrection was a myth. Resurrection couldn't happen. There was no such thing as resurrection. And so the people in the church were a little bit confused by that because mostly that church had been born on the back of the fact that Paul and his other friends had come and proclaimed that Jesus was, was raised from the dead. And so they wrote Paul a letter. And Paul wrote them a letter back. And thankfully, we have that letter preserved for us in the Bible. It's, it's called, commonly called 1 Corinthians. And uh, in that, we read 
of how the early church saw the resurrection. And it is full of insight for us today about what kind of practical impact the resurrection can have on our lives. So, I'm going to give you the first one. I've got three to share with you today. Three impacts, practical differences the resurrection makes in our lives. The first one is this. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, our past can be pardoned. According to the Apostle Paul, if there's, no resur- if there's no resurrection, then we face a major dilemma. He talks about this in his letter. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 12-17. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he didn't, if he did, not, he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If Christ, let me just read you that last line again. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So no resurrection would mean that we are still in our sins. Well, what is sin? A sin is a rejecting God's way for our lives. Isaiah 53, 6 says it this way. We all are like sheep who've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've all gone astray. We've turned to our own way, not God's way. We've turned to our own way. That's probably, that's one of the, that's one of the, I think, one of the good, simple definitions of sin. Instead of saying, God, you made me, and uh, you've got a plan for my life, and I'm going to accept that, I'm going to embrace that, I'm going to embrace you. I want to know more about you. I want to uh, get to know you in a greater and greater. No, instead we say, no, God, I'm not interested in your way for my life. I want my own way for my life. And so we turn away from the one who made us. The created one turns away from its creator. So why is it so crucial that there's a possibility of pardon for our sin? Well, the problem with sin is that it's the one thing that separates us from God. It's like a giant wedge between us and a holy and righteous God. And if you want to restore your relationship with God, you have to get rid of the wedge of sin. One of the things that you learn when you read the Bible is that you cannot restore your relationship with God on your own. You can't remove the wedge of sin by being good enough, being right enough, or being religious enough. Of course, God knew that. And he loved us, and he loved you. And so he provided a solution. The solution was Jesus coming and dying on the cross to pick up our tab. He paid the debt that we owed. It was a debt we couldn't pay ourselves. It was like Jesus was saying to people, if you will put your faith and trust in me, I'll forgive your sins. I'll remove that wedge of sin from your life. Now, if someone would say to you, I'll forgive your sins. You'd probably say, well, who are you? God? And that would be an appropriate answer. In fact, 
That is the exact response that the Jewish people gave to Jesus. There's a couple stories in the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, where he tells people straight up, your sins are forgiven. And people turn at him and say, only God can forgive sins. How can you say that? Now, if that's all the end of the story was, if Jesus died and didn't rise from the dead, then his claim to forgive sins would make him a, a lunatic or, or maybe just a liar. But it wouldn't be, you wouldn't uh, have respect for him. You'd say, that guy claimed some stuff that just wasn't true. But when, but what if the one who promises that he can forgive your sins predicts his own death, then promises to come back from death after three days after he died, and then he does it. Well, then you'd have a totally different conversation. You'd say, okay, before I was skeptical when you said you'd forgive my sins, but now I see what you've done. Tell me more about how this forgiving my sins works. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, his authority to forgive sins was authenticated. His death and resurrection was not only the means by which our sins could be forgiven, it was the proof that he could forgive sins. Without the resurrection, Jesus' claim to be able to forgive our sins uh, would be invalid. But with the resurrection, he is who he said he was, and he can do what he said he can do. The question for us in this very first part is, have you accepted Jesus' pardon for your past? Now, what is a pardon? What is a pardon? You know, in the 1970s, really early, before I even knew about this story, the Watergate scandal happened. And I won't tell you the whole story. You can look it up for yourself. I'm sure Wikipedia can help you. But the gist of it is that the president had to resign. President Richard Nixon resigned. And after he resigned, a new president was, was brought in uh, to run the country, and that was President Gerald Ford. And after a while, President Gerald Ford uh, did something very controversial, something that a lot of the American people did not like. He pardoned Richard Nixon. Now, what's very interesting about this story is some of the accounts say that Richard Nixon did not immediately accept the pardon. In fact, it took him several days to finally accept the pardon that was offered to him. And the reason he did that, I believe, is because a pardon indicates that there is guilt. A pardon is different than an acquittal. If you are acquitted in a court of law, it means that you're not guilty. But a pardon is different. It means that you are guilty, but that the things that you've done have been forgiven. And so Jesus, when he approaches us, he doesn't approach us and saying, hey, you're acquitted. You're not guilty. Yeah, you're a good person. No, actually... The reality is, Jesus comes to us with a pardon. All of us have gone our own way. All of us have, are guilty of not treasuring God, of not valuing God, of not, of not going his way. And so Jesus offers us a pardon. We are guilty, but he will forgive. And so we need to willingly accept the conditions of the pardon. So it's on us, and the question on us is, are we willing to say, yes, I'm a sinner, if we're willing to admit that he's willing to pardon. And all of this is possible because of the resurrection. Because Jesus was raised, he can forgive sins. Our sins can be forgiven and our past can be pardoned. Here's the second one. Because of the resurrection, our present can have purpose. 
More from Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. It says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. (laughs) So no resurrection means that life has no purpose. Do you ever wonder what we're here for? If this life has comes with meaning or purpose attached? I think the common understanding out there is that uh, just by reading what people are, are writing on the internet and different things, is that people have come to sort of this same conclusion that there's no meaning to life. Or you don't come preloaded with meaning. But that you somehow have to make up a meaning for yourself and convince yourself that it's really important and meaningful and then live it out. But it's just subjective meaning. It's not objective. There's no meaning for every person. There's just meanings that people make up. And in the end, you're going to just fade away. And there's, you'll either be forgotten soon or forgotten later. But that's the, the reality of what people are, are, are dealing with in our world. What are we here for? Is there any purpose? Think of our lives. Get up in the mor- my life a month ago or your my life a month ago. Get up in the morning, go to work, go home, watch TV or surf the net, go to bed. Then get up in the morning, go to work, go home, watch TV, surf the internet, go to bed. And then live for the parties on the weekend, right? Well, right now, there's no parties on the weekend. Actually, no parties ever, unless you're just partying with your family, which might be true. But now it's put on your sweatpants, figure out which day of the week it is, work from home, try to get something productive done, and also try to keep the kids alive. Is there more to life than this? Is this as good as it gets? This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. If this is as good as life gets, if it's just this life, and then it's over, and then we, forget, we don't have any memory, and eventually no one has any memory of us, is that all it is? He says, if that's all it is, then it's pitiful. If if Only for this life we have hope in Christ. If it's sort of just a nice story that sort of gets us through our days, but it doesn't actually offer any hope beyond that, then we are of all people most to be pitied. He said it's pitiful. It's the pits. Now, I don't want to get too far into this because maybe I'm hitting too close to home. Maybe you feel like your life is in a bit of a pit right now. And maybe it seems meaningless without any rhyme or reason. And that you're just spinning your wheels or, or biding time for something meaningful to come along. How would you like to exchange that for a life of purpose? I want you to know this Easter mor- morning that such a life is possible for one reason. And that reason is the resurrection of Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said about life? He said that in John 10.10, 10, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He was talking about you and me. He's come that we would have a full life, a life with meaning and purpose and value and direction. And you can have purpose right now in your life because Jesus was raised from the dead. Somebody has a plan for your life, and somebody wants you to find it and live it, and that's, and that's Jesus. You know, 15 years ago, I read a book by a pastor. The pastor's name was Rick Warren, and he'd written a book that became pretty popular. It was called The Purpose Driven Life. And I think it sold 30 million copies or something like that. In it, he lists God's five purposes for your life, or it's his, his attempt to explain God's five purposes for your life. 
And uh, I want to just give them to you really quickly. So instead of making up a meaning for your life and, and trying to hope that it really does give you meaning, here's, here's a, a one man's attempt of trying to lay out the simplicity or of God's meaning for your life. Number one, you were planned for God's pleasure. You were planned for God's pleasure. So you exist to bring pleasure to God, and you were meant to experience pleasure in God. You're meant to be satisfied in him, to love God and experience his love for you in a real relationship. Number two, you were formed for God's family. After learning to love God, the next most important thing in life is learning to love others. And God's idea was to put you into a spiritual family where you could practice this and grow in this. And some people call that the church, right? Get together with other people who have also accepted God's purpose and meaning for their lives, and they're practicing this other love, this love for others. You were created to be like Christ. God's plan is to make you like Jesus in your character. So you think about the things Jesus was like. There's a list in the Bible. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, Oh, I miss gentleness. Gentleness, yeah. It's something God has called everyone to mature into these things and to become like Jesus. He hasn't just got tasks for you to do, although I'm going to get to that in a second. He's got someone for you to become, to become like Jesus in your character. Here's the fourth one. He said, you were shaped for serving God. God designed you to make a difference with your life through serving you were created to give back to God and others. I, I love it when people uh, say, man, that person thinks they're God's gift, you know, whatever, to women or to whatever, you know. They think they're God's gift. You know, actually, in a way, it's sort of true. God, how he shapes you, how he made you, how he created you, the life experiences he gave you, the heart, the passion that he gave you, the personality, all those are a part of creating a gift. It's you. You're the gift is meant to be given to other people. People are meant to experience you and it through serving. So not, you're not God's gift in an arrogant, self-serving way, but God makes you a unique, gift, unique gift that he gives to others to meet their practical needs and to serve them. So you were shaped for serving God and others. And then the last one says you were made for a mission. The mission Jesus had while on this earth is now our mission. He's made us our us agents of his mission. And what is that mission? It's introducing people to God. We have the greatest news in the world, and sharing it is the greatest kindness you can show to anyone. In fact, I'm trying to do that with you now as best I can. You were made for a mission. Rick Warren has, I just grabbed one of the statements from his book. He says, nothing matters more than knowing God's purpose for your life. And nothing can compensate for not knowing God's purposes for your life. Not success, wealth, fame, or pleasure. Without a purpose, life is motion without meaning, activity without direction, and events without reason. Without a purpose, life is trivial, petty, and pointless. So I want to tell you today, your life is not pointless because you matter to God. You, can, you were born, you came preloaded with purpose, your life is no accident, and there's abundant meaning that God has given your life. 
I'm confident that God has a plan and purpose for your life, and I don't want you to miss it. Because of the resurrection, your past can be pardoned, your present can have purpose, and here's the last one, our future can have hope. If there is no resurrection, we face a hopeless future after death. 1 Corinthians 15 to 17 to 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, it's talking about death, in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we, have all, we are of all people to be pitied. Now, Jesus promised some pretty amazing things to his followers. He, he promised some pretty amazing things. John 14, 1 to 3 says, do not let your hearts be troubled. If you're, if you're facing the death of a loved one, or even facing death yourself, it's easy for your heart to be troubled. Listen to Jesus' words for his disciples, and they're words that you can take to heart as well. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. This is how Jesus comforted his disciples, saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If Jesus is preparing a place for you, it's going to be amazing. I mean, I can't imagine any designer I'd want to prepare a place for me more than Jesus, the one who created the world and the cosmos and the atmosphere. I want him to prepare a place for me. And he's done that. He's gone to do that. And he wants us to be there with him. If there's no resurrection, well, that's really sad because then no matter what Jesus promised, we have no hope that it will happen. But it's not, it's not going to be true if he didn't rise again. But Jesus Christ staked our future after death on one pivotal reality, his resurrection. Let's read further. It, said, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Oh, there's the good news. Christ has indeed been raised in the dead. Where do we get that text from? Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. We get it from right here. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So this is good news. Jesus was the first one to rise from the dead. And those who belong to him will be the second ones to rise from the dead. That's good news because, let's face it, we're all going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. Aren't you glad you tuned in for church this morning? <laughs> I mean, it seems pretty depressing. But the good news is there's a way out. There's a way out. Now, just in case you think that this is just all academic for me, it's not. It's very real, powerful, and moving to my heart the reality that we have this hope. A couple of years ago, my father passed away. And um, all of his kids, there's seven of us, we all got a chance um, to go one at a time into the room where his casket and his body was. And the casket was open, and his body was preserved. And uh, my turn came. And I remember walking in alone. My wife said, you know, do you need me in there? And I said, I think I'm okay. I remember walking in there and seeing uh, my dad's body. And I remember 
having lots of thoughts and that about my life together with him and, and lots of memories came back to my mind. Lots of things. But the thing I want to share with you that I thought that out of that time was the thought came to me uh, and it was a thought that really encouraged me. And that was, I just whispered, this is only temporary. This is only temporary. Dad, me not being with you, I know this is just your body, I know you're gone, your spirit is gone, but me not being with you, that's just temporary. Why, did, why could I say that? Why did that hope rise up in my heart? Was I in denial? Was the grieving causing me to be in denial? No. It was faith in what Jesus had done. It was faith in Jesus' resurrection. Because of Jesus' resurrection, my dad, when he was in his 20s, experienced the pardon for his sin. When he, get, he saw, when he, saw, um, when he um, heard about Jesus' death and resurrection, he saw in that event something new he, that he hadn't seen before growing up. He saw the love of God on display for him. He saw that God truly loved him. And then he also saw that God was offering him forgiveness for his sins. And my dad, in his 20s, reached out and grabbed it. He dove in and gave his life to God. He committed his life to God. And so when I was there in, in my uh, moment with, in that, that room, just my dad's body in the casket, I was just thinking, these realities I'm talking about today, my dad's past was pardoned. Anything my dad had done, any sin, secret, hidden, small, big, whatever, it was pardoned. It was nailed to the cross Jesus, by going to the cross, took all of that of my dad's sin on himself. And so my dad was forgiven. And then my dad's life had purpose. It did. I mean, he was a bit aimless in his 20s and not sure where he was going with life. But soon after that, things started to click together in his life, a purpose and meaning. God gave him a spiritual family and a great church in the city of Vancouver. And then soon after that, he met my mom. And God just sort of brought some things into his life. But it was full of purpose full of purpose and meaning. And then, God's brought this incredible hope for our future so that when I'm sitting there, in my grief, I'm still full of hope that my separation from my father is only temporary because Jesus rose from the dead. My dad has risen from the dead. And I will too. And because of that confidence, I didn't grieve like those who don't have hope. My grieving was was different. There was a comfort in that. Do you know, way back in the Middle Ages, the idea of a sea route from Europe to Asia seemed impossible. It seemed like every ship that would go around the southern tip of Africa to get to Asia would be shipwrecked. And it was just shipwreck after shipwreck after shipwrecked. And so, so many ships got destroyed there that sailors called, started calling the southern tip of Africa the Cape of Storms. Basically, nobody gets through that way. You can't go to Asia past the southern tip of Africa. However, one determined captain succeeded in rounding the Cape and he reached Asia. In fact, there's still a monument to that famous sailor today in China. His name was Vasco da Gama. And ever since Vasco da Gama sailed to Asia and then came all the way back to Lisbon, Portugal, it has been impossible for anyone to doubt that there's a way to Asia around the southern tip of Africa. When it comes to the resurrection, 
Ever since Jesus journeyed to death and back again, it's been impossible for people to say, there's no life after death. You know, one more thing about Vasco da Gama. When he went to Asia and came back again, the map makers who'd been printing maps and making maps that said the Cape of Storms realized they had to change. And so they changed the, the name of the way around the southern tip of Africa from the Cape of Storms to what we know it as today, the Cape of Good Hope. And I, no matter how stormy your life is, no matter how uncertain it seems, Jesus wants to bring good hope into your heart. He wants to give you the hope of eternal life with him. That not, he doesn't just want to bring purpose to your, to your today, he does. And he doesn't just want to pardon your past. He wants to give you incredible hope in your future. And the only reason you can cling to that and hold on to that and for it to be a stabilizing force in your life is because of the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. Because he was raised, we too will be raised. There's life after death and Jesus proved it. Because of the resurrection, our lives can have hope. So your past can be pardoned, your present can have purpose, and your future can be filled with hope. Now how do you activate that in your life? How can I have the purposeful life or the life to the full that God designed for me? How can I be saved from a life without God and a life to come without God? The Apostle Paul wrote in another letter to a different church uh, these words in Romans 10, 9 to 10. He says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That's the good news of Easter. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, I can be saved of a life without God and a life to come without God. That's good news. And I want to give you a chance to respond to that good news this morning. Just like my dad did in his 20s when he committed his life to Christ. I'm, I have a prayer of a commitment I'm going to lead you in. And it's not, the words aren't magical. It's not like this is the only prayer that you could pray to commit your life to Christ. You can pray in your own words and God will hear you and he'll know the reality of, of what you're committing to him. But this could maybe guide you or help you. And for any of us, it's the kind of prayer of commitment you could pray any day. But for some of you today, maybe you're going to pray it for the very first time. And I'd be excited to lead you in that prayer. So let me just give it to you phrase by phrase. And again, it's your heart, the sincerity of your heart, responding to God that matters as we pray. Let me lead you. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, we want to just thank you for joining us today for our service. 
And as we end our time together, I want to say that there are people who are willing and eager to pray with you. If you have a need in your life, or if you want to know more about how Jesus' resurrection applies to your life, or there's just something you need someone to walk you through in prayer, then I invite you to pray. Our number is going to be up on the screen, and we would love to engage with you. But remember, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter.